0: Hello and welcome to the scriptures are real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them. And we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Carrie Mielstein, and I'm so excited to have a new guest with me today. You're going to love her. This is Natalie Hunsaker. Welcome, Natalie.
1: Thank you, Carrie. Nice to be here.
0: Glad to have you with us. So before we get going, let's take care of just a little bit of business. I'm very happy and excited to let you know that I'm creating another masterclass. This is going to be on what the Book of Mormon teaches us about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So I've gone through and looked at all the different ways and times that it talks about the Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit, because this seems to be something President Nelson is really emphasizing. And I'm going to teach a class just on that topic, and it will be on our website, the Enlightened Edge EDU website, which you can get to by going to TSAR, that's The Scriptures Are Real, is what it stands for, TSAR.website, or patreon.com slash Edu, And I think you're going to love this masterclass, so I hope you'll join us there. All right, well, as I said, I'm so excited to have Natalie with us. Uh, Natalie is an artist, Uh, who paints on a lot of, well, all sorts of stuff, but especially uh, ways that scriptures have spoken to her. Uh, We've talked about her art and uh, just so many incredible things that she's shown me and and, uh, that I have uh, loved what she's done. And she's especially working on some Isaiah things. And so we wanted to have her on. That's just another way that the scriptures become real is as they speak to us. And then then we can take those real things and express them in different ways. And for Natalie, that's in art. So that's a little introduction of Natalie. We'd love to hear a little bit more about you, Natalie. Tell us more about yourself.
1: Well, I'm a homeschooling mom of four kids, so it's pretty busy over here. <laughs> My artwork definitely goes forward at a very slow pace uh, because of all of that. But I absolutely love all of my roles as a wife and a mom and a mother and an artist. And I just, um, I have fell in love with Isaiah and his, just his writings a long time ago. I felt like just really lost after college, not really sure what I should do with my degree and what I wanted to do. And I I felt really, really led to come back to my art. And, um, and I've, is enjoyed and loved teaching and diving really deep into the scriptures and so i figured if i could make isaiah feel a little bit more tangible for people and maybe a little especially for visual learners that maybe i could serve god in that way that was unique to both my interests and my talents so it's been a really really fun project for the last 15 years
0: wonderful and and you have a youtube channel right
1: yeah i do just uh youtube.com forward slash at natalie hunsaker
0: so and you can Natalie see all Hunsaker. of my
1: Isaiah, Isaiah painting videos on there and get an idea for what the project's about.
0: Wonderful. And I'll try and remember to put that in the show notes. I'm notoriously bad at that, but I'll try and remember to do that.
1: Um, <laughs> I and, think even uh, if you misspell my name, Google will figure it out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, good. And uh, and where, if people ended up wanting to buy some of your art, where would they go?
1: Uh, just my website, nataliehunsaker.com.
0: Okay, great. And that's IE, Natalie IE, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I thought, uh, since we're just getting into our first Isaiah chapters here in the book of Mormon, that maybe, uh, I could give us just a little bit of background on what's going on with these chapters in a couple of different ways, uh, both, uh, in Isaiah and in the book of Mormon. And then, uh, let's uh, see some specific ways they've spoken to you, if that's all right. Absolutely. So in terms of the, the, um, the isaiah chapters the way they work in isaiah which is where nephi is finding them obviously and you can get more of this by the way in my book i think it's uh, right behind me um the uh, learning to love isaiah where i've i've arranged it to help with the book of mormon both in terms of an index for that and, and highlights all along but anyway um there in isaiah there's this really long chiasmus that i identified as i was writing this book and um it's it's uh, chapters long. If I remember right, I'd have to double check, but I think it goes from uh, chapter forty-one to fifty-seven. If I remember right, in any I think case, that's this... what I
1: remember in reading your your passages. Uh, You're close, well, if not right on. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: So uh, the central chapters of that, the place where it, it comes together, and that's always the most important element, are chapters forty-eight and forty-nine. That's the the focus of the entire chapter, and it's really that that you'll have a servant who will uh, help uh, carry God's covenant to the world and, and provide redemption. And in some ways, that's going to be Christ. In some ways, that's Israel. In some ways, that's covenant individuals like you and like me. Um, and I, I find it really interesting. I think it can't be a coincidence that the first chapters that Nephi quotes in the Book of Mormon are these two central chapters uh, in Isaiah. And, and they're the chapters that will get drawn on again. And again, they're probably the most influential Isaiah chapters in the book of Mormon. You could argue for possibly 53, because that gets used by Abinadi quite a bit, but, um, but you could really argue for these ones. Uh, they play a central role. And so I think Nephi must have, uh, just because he understands Hebrew literature and so on, uh, and if you uh, have been on or, or been following the podcast since we started Book of Mormon, you'll remember Noel Reynolds arguing that he's a very literate trained scribe. He really knows what he's doing. I think he recognizes this central point and uh, and he uses it. It speaks to him and he uses it. And I think it's not a coincidence that we get it where we do in the the Book of Mormon. Of course, it's where he quotes it to his brothers, but but there's a specific thing going on where we have, in chapter um, 18, they've arrived in the promised land, and this is, uh, this is a real question that the, the Lehites, we'll call them at this point, the Lehites have to wrestle with because they identify as covenant people, and a huge part of the covenant is having a promised land, and they've just left that promised land. And so they have to figure out how does that promised land uh, or how does the covenant apply to us? Does it, are we lost now? And Nephi's argument is going to be, we've got a new promised land and we are part of scattered Israel. And you keep reading about scattered Israel and Isaiah. So we're now part of that. And it is interesting. They're the part that gets scattered because they're righteous, not because they're wicked. Um, But just before we, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, just before it launches into uh, Nephi launches into reading these two chapters uh, to his brothers to help them understand that the covenant does still apply to them, and I think that's powerful because as Israel in the process of of being gathered and gathering Israel, uh, what he says applies to us very much as well. Um, but he explains why, and that's in First Nephi 19, and we'll quote a famous verse there. But we're gonna kind of, uh, I, I think, hopefully take it in context rather than out of context, like we often do. Um, so he's talking to them and he, he tells them in verse, so we're in first 1 Nephi 19.16, he tells them, you remember the isles of the sea uh, and all the people are of the house of Israel I will gather in. So they think of themselves as now people on the isles of the sea and, um, and so on. So he's, he's likening themselves to these covenant people we get verse 19, wherefore I speak unto all the house of Israel, if it so be that they should obtain these things. So he's really focusing on Israel. And then we get down to verse 23. And he says, I did read many things unto them which were written in the books of Moses, but that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord their Redeemer. I did read unto them that which was written by the prophet Isaiah, for I did liken all scriptures unto us that it might be for our profit and learning. Now, if you're like me, I have in my, my Book of Mormon, because my seminary teacher told me to, like in 1 Nephi 1, I've crossed out instead of I Nephi uh, having been born of goodly parents, it says I carry having been born of goodly parents. Because oh, I was taught this is what likening means, is that every story and every situation you put yourself in it. And I think that's absolutely accurate. That's a secondary interpretation. That's not what Nephi is saying here, but it's it's a wonderful, important, powerful, useful secondary interpretation. But if we're going to look at the context, he's just been talking about how they're of the house of Israel and the covenants apply. Let's look mm-hmm. at the next verse. Wherefore, so note that connecting word. He's likening scriptures for their learning. He's reading Isaiah and likening it to them for their learning. And because of that, or wherefore, I spake to them saying, hear ye the words of the prophet, ye who are a remnant of the house of Israel, a branch who have been broken off. Hear ye the words of the prophet, which are written unto all the house of Israel, and liken them unto yourselves, that ye may have hope as well as your brethren from whom ye have been broken off. For after this manner has the prophet written. So what Nephi is very specifically saying about this likening is Isaiah writes about Israel. He writes about the covenant people and including covenant people who have been scattered. You are of the covenant. You are part of the scattering and the gathering. Therefore, he is very much writing about you. That's what why he's going to read 48 and 49. And that's the focus of 48 and 49, as we said. Um, and, and we should also, well, all right, we'll come back to that in a minute. I, I just want to say that it's as true for us this is true for Natalie, Carrie, and everyone listening, as it was for Laman and Lemuel and Nephi. Uh, this is we are part of the covenant people, uh, we're part of the scattering and the gathering, and that's what Nephi's writing about. So, we absolutely should find ourselves in here now. Now, Nephi is going to give this a very specific Nephite interpretation, and we should understand that Nephite interpretation, but we should understand also what he's doing. What he's doing is you saying is saying. You look at what Isaiah says and how it applies for you as a covenant individual in your time and place. And so he's really giving us license or teaching us what we should do, which is to read these things and figure out how does it apply to me as an Israelite individual for me here in Orem, Utah, for uh, some of my audience in New Zealand. How does that apply to a New Zealander, uh, whether Maori or, or not, uh, right? How does it apply to someone in Tonga? How does it apply to someone uh, in California or wherever you are? Uh, And, and uh, that's what I think he's saying. So, and, and then one last thing I'll say that, um, as we said, this is, these are some of the servant chapters that we talk about, uh, where Isaiah talks about a servant and the primary fulfillment or the most important fulfillment of that servant is Christ. Uh, He is the servant, but. The servant, the only servant that uh, Isaiah mentions when he names the servant or identifies the servant in any of these servant chapters, he identifies Israel.
1: Israel. Yep.
0: Yeah. So again, that's us, and so that's we need us. to think yes. of, of <laughs> all of Israel as as that servant, and we need to think of Natalie as that servant, and Carrie as that servant, and Jennifer uh, in California as that servant, and so on. So uh, absolutely. Anyway, so that's kind of my background. And uh, now I'd say, uh, where should we go? Uh, Where would you like to talk about? uh
1: Well, you're really leading into what I wanted to start off with, because even... um as I've done this project, I don't I don't consider myself a scholar. You're clearly a scholar. You can go through and you can you, you know so much about Isaiah and I've learned so much from reading your great book. And I I feel like there are so many resources out there for people that want a verse by verse scholarly look at, you know, what were the ways of the Jews. And we we talk a lot about the three keys that Nephi gives us, you know, and one of them was learn about the ways of the Jews, because if you know more about them, you can understand Isaiah more. And the other key is to uh, talk about the, he talked about the spirit of prophecy. If we have the spirit of prophecy, we'll be able to understand the words better. And then the third key that he tells us is that we have got to live in the latter days, that that will help us understand it. So we've got the third key easily. Um, But one thing that I have noticed is that we focus a lot on that first key. On that first key of okay, let's try and figure this out in context. What did it mean to the Jews? What what did it mean um, in you know the law of Moses or what they were used to? And that's very helpful. Just like Nephi says, it's very helpful. But Nephi also says that I didn't teach my children the ways of the Jews. Yeah. And and I found that really really helpful for me personally because when you're starting on this journey of trying to figure out Isaiah and you're you're trying to figure out what everything means. And it's so overwhelming when you're just a busy mom and life is chaotic. Um, it's actually really comforting to know that Nephi can say, if you don't understand the Jews, that's all right, because I've got you covered. <laughs> yeah. and, and so that leaves us with the spirit of prophecy. And I've even heard some people who say, and I'm not saying don't learn about the Jews. That's always really, really helpful. And I have learned a ton about the ways of the Jews, as I've studied Isaiah. Um, but I, it's not my go-to. And so I've thought about the spirit of prophecy and what does that mean for me? And we we learn in the Bible dictionary that the spirit of prophecy is to have a testimony of Christ. And it's been really interesting working on this project for 15 years because, in, and in not a way that I saw myself as a scholar, and, and maybe some people would view me as that, but I was just me, Natalie, trying to liken Isaiah to myself, right? And yeah. so I went through um, really just trying to have the spirit of prophecy. And it's so interesting to me. For me to look back at how I used to interpret the scriptures of Isaiah uh, with what I knew about Christ back then, my testimony of Christ back then, and my testimony of Christ now, how it's developed because my understanding of Isaiah has changed as my understanding of Christ has changed, yeah. and vice versa. I, Isaiah has helped me to understand Christ, and so one of the one of my the, the chapter forty nine is in one of my top favorite three because it was really instrumental in helping me get to know the Christ that I feel like I know now and when I was a little girl I imagined that he was kind of scary that he was like standing over us with you know a stick waiting to catch us when we do something wrong you know and correct us just constantly correcting us and and I think if if you believe in that kind of God you will see that in Isaiah I mean you will you just will and um and it occurred to me lately to to study actually Isaiah's own growth because Isaiah grew too. And, and just like I have grown and I see Christ differently now than I did, you know, 30 years ago or 15 years ago. Um, I see that I, that same thing happened to Isaiah. And I just tracked a little bit. I kind of like did a little word study and a word search. And the number of times that Isaiah uses the word anger in the first 10 chapters is more than double the number of times that he uses with the word anger in the last, you know, the last 10 chapters. So like just comparing those two, he he's already kind of shifted. And when I learned that, um, historians often think that there were actually two or maybe more three, four Isaiahs, and they break it down the line of like chapter 39. And they say, this is stylistically a different guy than this guy. But then other people argue, well, no, because there's some still, there's still some stylistic elements that go between. And so but, but most of Christianity and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Carrie, but um, I understand that most of them think that there were at least two authors of the book of Isaiah, that it wasn't just one guy. And, and that alone, I mean, I, as an artist myself, like I, my style develops, you know, if you know anything about Picasso, his style, like totally drastically changed and um, you can be the same person and still tell a really different story. And that's what I find fascinating about Isaiah because because his style changed the more he got to know Jesus Christ and his style changed so much that scholars actually think he's a different guy. And that's what Christ does for us. We, we become different people because of him. And, and so I've, I've loved studying it because not only have I grown in my understanding of Christ, but it's really fun to see Isaiah growing in his understanding of Christ too. And Isaiah 48 and 49 is just one of those pictures for me. It's not as well known as Isaiah 53 and, you know, the song of the suffering servant, but it's so beautiful because
0: 48,
1: 48 is all about how Israel is going to botch it. And like, they're totally making, they're doing everything wrong. And he calls them transgressors from the womb, right? Like he, he knows from the beginning that they're not going to get it right. And 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 even in some cases they didn't get it right in like a really big in really big important ways right
0: yeah yeah and
1: and I think of my own life that way and not only is he's not standing over me with a stick saying Shh, caught you in that one Natalie look what you did wrong but he's actually saying I've got that Natalie I've got that and and it, which makes me think of. Um, In Corinthians, when Paul says, you know, my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's Christ saying, Paul's saying, you know, I, I had this thorn in my side. I wanted it removed. I asked God three times, please take it away from me. And his answer was no, because, because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And I find that in verse, um, uh, it's it. It always takes me a minute to find. I like I said. I I don't feel like a scholar because I don't find verses the way that other people do. But I love this place where he says in here, "Um, for my name's sake, I will defer." So wait, where where
0: are we at? Just so our are Oh our, oh,
1: thank you. Yeah. Uh, chapter forty eight, verse nine.
0: So that, that would be first Nephi 20 verse nine as well, right?
1: Yes. Thank you for okay. clarifying. Yeah, no, that's that. great. Yeah. Yeah. I've marked up my Isaiah more than my uh, Nephi. So I, Understood. Have to, <laughs> Understood. I have to go there. Yeah, <clears throat> But he says, for my name's sake, will I defer my anger? For my praise, will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off? Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee. The Dead Sea Scrolls said, tested thee in the furnace yeah. of affliction, which I thought that was a really interesting way. of. And I think that's a that. better
0: translation anyway. Yeah.
1: Right. And then he says, for mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it for how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory to another. And I've thought about that a lot because, because he's saying here to me, he is saying that he, he has personal stake in being a loving savior too. Yeah. He has a personal stake in not coming down and saying, "You guys are just, you have totally botched it. You're you're goners." You know, he has personal stake, and what is his personal stake? Well, no, number one, his vision and his mission, his call to be the Christ and to help us and to refine us. Yeah. His glory, my work, and to my be glory is
0: savior, right?
1: Yes, he is to a save savior.
0: us. Sorry, keep and, going.
1: And to help us you know to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man eternal life is helping us to be perfect so so his job is to do that and the more we go from weak to perfection the the greater glory he gets is what i'm reading in here and and it's not a selfish like i'm not doing this just for me but i'm doing it because um because i can't give my glory to another and i've thought about that like who else would he give his glory to, (laughs) you know? I mean, he, he was the one to say the father, like you get all the glory. He's not in it for himself, but if, if Christ fails, who gets the glory, or at least who thinks he gets the glory is Satan. And, and he's in it. He's in it for the long haul for us, no matter how many mistakes we make, he's slow to anger for us because he knows that if he doesn't do it well, it's, it we are at stake. We are lost, and he cares so much about us. And wow. so, when I read that, I think I'm so glad that he has that power. I'm so glad that he has the power over his own emotional state to not be reactive, but to choose to continue to love even when we provoke him over and over and over again. Which I know I certainly do. Right? Uh, that's I mean, that's
0: so good. He's yeah, in, so in gracious. Fact, oh. Yeah, could I just uh, even reframe some of what you're talking about in in, a a, a little way? Like, I I love what you're saying, and maybe we can even take a a little another angle and and see a couple facets of this same thing. So, because I think Isaiah ends up being in an interesting position, as all prophets do. In some ways, Isaiah is representing the Lord speaking to us, but in some Mm -hmm. ways, he is the the people approaching the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's the role of prophet plays. He, he gives us God's word, but he also prays for us to God and and so on. Right. And so as you, you talk about seeing this change in Isaiah, I think there's another reason for seeing it as well. And I think they intertwine the, the uh, because the, you know, as you said, interestingly, many scholars or most scholars, uh, kind of change it right around Isaiah 39, right. um, there's some quibbling about exactly where, but, right. um, but I mean, if you think about it, it's not coincidence that that is where we have the, 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 the Northern kingdom has been destroyed. The Southern kingdom is about <coughs> to be destroyed. And instead they repent and they're miraculously spared. Well, you would expect that in trying to get people to repent and not be destroyed, there would be a lot of warnings and that after they have repented and they've, they've been spared, that you wouldn't need to have as many warnings, right? Uh, that, that,
1: <laughs> that's, that's a good point what, too. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So,
0: but if you, if you think of it in that way, um, what you see is God allowing his people to change. When they need the humbling, when they need the warning, when they, so he may be slow to anger, but this is going to come. He sends so many prophets to warn the Northern kingdom, so many prophets to warn the Southern kingdom. It's so long in coming yet still, they don't repent. So the Northern kingdom is, is scattered and destroyed because they're not going to change. So he humbles them in that way. Much of the Southern kingdom is destroyed. Um, but they do humble themselves, they do change, they do repent, and he allows them to change so that his addresses to them after that. There is warning about being careful in the future and what's going to happen with Babylon and and so on and so on, but it is different because they have changed and he has allowed us to change. And so I think that as much as Isaiah is, is representing God, we're going to see that change because God has allowed us to change. And as much as Isaiah is representing himself and us, we're going to see that change because they have come to see God really does deliver us when we come to, to him. And so he, we can trust in him as a savior, as a redeemer, as a protector, uh, and so on. And those intertwine. His ability to let us change and save us and our ability to see him as a savior as we change are, are in, in, integrally, inter, whoops, integrally intertwined. And uh, and so I think that's a, a really powerful Ah, uh, way of seeing the change you're talking about, and and I think you're right. It's yes. it's illustrated beautifully in chapters 48 and 49,
1: and the personal change that that you were talking about too. I mean, it's in it's in all of us, and I yes. I love finding scriptures that talk about the um, the because's when when God gives us like I do this because. I I get really excited because he doesn't very often explain himself, <laughs> right? Yeah. But he does. He does. Nephi actually explains him in chapter twenty-two because he says, "For the time soon cometh that the fullness of the wrath of God shall be poured out Wait, what, upon what what the verse children." You men, sorry, sorry. Oh, I'm what? sorry. Did I not say that? Sixteen, yeah. chapter twenty-two, verse sixteen. Okay. Because he says, "For for the time soon cometh that the fullness of the wrath of God shall be poured out upon all the children." And I thought about that too. Like fullness of the wrath. Like, does that mean that he's just totally Lost and he's totally angry, but but it feels more to me like it's an event rather than an attribute. Does that make sense? It feels like it. It is an it it is an event titled "The Fullness of the Wrath of God," and um. But then he says, "Why?" In the next chapter, in the or excuse me, the next page, same verse, verse sixteen, for he will not suffer that the wicked shall destroy the righteous, and the whole entire rest of Nephi's point in chapter 22 is that the righteous aren't going to perish they don't need to fear they're going to be preserved um that that there's going to be prophets to come help them and he's going to gather his children a number of sheep so it's all like a happy ending right and even if it's not a happy ending for the wicked it's not because christ doesn't want to save them it's because he has to protect the righteous which is a totally different thing than like a vengeful angry god that sometimes we pick up or sense in the old testament
0: so perfectly said so perfectly said and in fact if if it's all right let's just explore that just a little bit uh, Yeah, uh and you you see it it continues in verse 17 you get again a wherefore because he's he's not going to suffer that the righteous will perish he will preserve the righteous by his power now as i say this i want you to think back to say first nephi 11 through 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, so first nephi 22 is nephi's commentary on what he's just read in isaiah 48 and 49 or first Nephi 20 and 21. Um, But he, he interprets it in light of the vision he's had, where he is seeing that the wicked are going to gather against the righteous to try to destroy them, but the righteous will be armed with the power of God and great glory. And in the end, the wicked fall, the great and spacious building falls, and God supports the righteous, right? So, uh, we're, we when he says the righteous by his power, he's really kind of drawing on language from that vision. That's, uh, from e- example in, in first Nephi 14. So he will preserve the righteous by his power, even if it so be that the fullness of his wrath must come and the righteous be preserved even under the destruction of their enemies by fire. And then, as you said, wherefore the righteous need not fear. Right. But they yeah. shall be saved, even if it's so be as by fire. Now, when I teach my Isaiah courses, I find us having this discussion again and again and again in the second half of Isaiah. So this is instead of the the words, the anger and so on and so on, we end up with him talking a lot about oppression. And I think it's very similar for uh, Isaiah as it is for Nephi. Like, they, OK, we've saved. um judah for right now so he's looking even more to the future and in the future he sees this oppression and the need to relieve that oppression um and and a theme that you'll find again and again and again is that god will plead with the oppressors to stop oppressing but those who won't the only way he can stop oppression is by removing the oppressors and that's even if it is so by fire and so on and so uh, I know my students. A lot of times, start to get concerned. Like, wow, this seems like God is really talking about coming out in wrath and fire a lot in this second half. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's always in this context. Like, okay, quit oppressing my people, and if you won't, this is what has to happen. It's not what I want to have happen but it's what will have to happen. And probably as parents, we've all experienced that where we plead with our children, quit picking on your brother (laughs) and and we don't really want to punish them and have them miss this family event or whatever. But if they're just going to cause problems, they're going to have to be in their room, right? Yeah. That's uh, that we've all been there. And I think that's where God is, but it's it's a beautiful element uh, of God's nature that he warns and pleads with the oppressors. Please stop, please be a different kind of person. But if not, I will stop the oppression. You can't keep picking on your little brother, as it were, right? Yeah. That's not okay, and I can't allow it to happen. And, uh, and that's a, a, a beautiful way that Isaiah, or Nephi is tying what he's seen about his people and about all people in his vision into his interpretation of Isaiah here.
1: It's, it's exactly what I love. I have learned to love about the justice of God, where it used to terrify me. Now I've realized it really is a safety net because it is what protects me. It's what protects me from, from things that have gone wrong. It's what heals me when they have already gone wrong. It is, it is his power that is capable of both the healing and the protection. And, and it's learning how to give to others what he gives to me that allows me to help, help be a better mother and a better coach and a better, you know, a better, not that I'm like a professional coach or anything, that's kind of the wrong word, but a coach to my kids, helping them develop. It yeah. It is a huge amount of work to, to understand where they are and meet them where they are and help them. In fact, I had a story just pop into my head. um, One of the ways that I've kind of likened Isaiah to myself, if you will, of uh, we've We've had a lot of health challenges in our family. And one of the ways that I've been able to manage those is to be really, really strict with our diet. And mm-hmm. it's probably been about um, four or five years ish. Well, maybe more like three or four that we've been able to relax. And it's been really nice because I don't have to like police everything and I don't have to pack food everywhere we go. I mean, food is so social and we were so strict for so long. It's really been nice to be a little bit more relaxed when we go out, but I'm still very protective in my home of what kind of food comes in because I, we've worked so hard to improve our health and our, um, guts that, um, it, I don't want to lose that ground. So I've had this rule for a really long time. My kids all know the rule that um, you can eat sugar when you're at church and you can eat sugar at grandmas and you can eat sugar wherever you're going out at school or class or birthday parties or whatever, uh, but it doesn't come home. Our home is safe from sugar (laughs) and and a lot of other like refined foods and refined oils and stuff like our home is going to be the place where you can eat anything in this home and know that you're going to be okay and that it's not going to, to cause your health or or give you headaches or make you vomit or anything like that. And so, um, and we've had a lot of, a lot of these different health issues like that. So our home was just kind of our safe space. And I've been running into this issue now that we've been a little bit more relaxed over the past few years, that even though I still have this rule, my kids are getting older, they're becoming the teenager age and yeah. they don't really like the rule and they wanna bring stuff home and they wanna stash it and they wanna hide it. Um, but I have this caboose baby, right? Seven years younger who isn't old enough to make his own choices. And while I want to respect their agency, of course, I'm not going to be like super controlling, crazy mom. um, I'm really worried about this little toddler because he, he just has this ongoing rash and he does so much better when he eats clean and doesn't have all the refined junk that we get everywhere. And, um, and so I really wanted to protect uh, my home and I have found that I wasn't getting the support from my older teens who were like, whatever, we don't care. We just want to like sneak it in and keep it in our rooms. Uh, but my toddler was finding what they had in their rooms. And so it, was, <laughs> it wasn't really working out very well. And I'd had conversations with them and it was still coming into the house. And um, and I really didn't know what to do because I was kind of caught in that place where I want to respect the agency of my kids that are old enough to choose for themselves but I also really have this little guy who isn't old enough to choose and doesn't understand. And he needs my help and he needs my protection.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and the rule wasn't working for us. And I didn't know what to do as a mom. And I I recently was talking to my husband. And I just said, you know what, what do what do we do for this situation? And right when I asked that question, I caught myself because I've had some friends recently ask me, Natalie, um, Just they just invited me. How about instead of asking the question, what do I do? How about I ask the question, who do I want to be
0: for my Mm. kids
1: through this? Mm. And, and right when I asked my husband that question, I was like, wait a second. That's not the right question. Who do I want to be? And I realized that I want to be the mom who respects the agency of my older kids. I, if I, I I have a feeling that if I fight them on this, it's going to backfire. Right. Right. But if I, um, If I allow them to make their choices, which it's age appropriate for me to do, then that might mean that my little guy suffers. And and I realized that I want to be the mom who's able to be there for my little guy when he suffers, because Mm. that's who Christ is for me. And he does allow older people to make decisions that hurt little people, but he's always there. He's always there for that little guy. Mm. And... And he then the little
0: guy hopefully learns from that right. experience. Right,
1: and the little guy does learn from that experience. And it's a two way, absolutely a two way, um, coin there. And and so and as I you went, need to
0: teach the older ones, okay, look, think of the consequences of your actions on other people and that kind of thing. Yes. Right? Yeah. And
1: that was the beauty of it because when I finally came to peace with, okay, that would that is who I would be in the worst case scenario if they keep bringing in all the sugar and my little guy keeps having reactions to it that's who I would be. And I, and I, I came to a place of peace where like, it's okay, whatever they choose is okay. Um, there's an ideal of course. And then there's a not ideal of course, but it's okay. And I love them. There, there wasn't any like conditional or, or anxious anxiety driven, like manipulation of their choices. And when I was in that place of peace, I talked to the older kids and I said, you know, I'm really thinking about just letting us have lots of sugar in the house and and just like letting us be like other houses and let Luke figure himself out and let you guys figure out what you want to have and um both of them both of my kids who've been bringing food into the house said no no mom we really really want our food to be healthy we really want our house to stay healthy and we really want you know Luke to feel you know safe and and clean too and i was just i was blown away because i was totally ah. prepared totally prepared to accept their agency right and and when they chose and they owned it, and all of a sudden just switched. And I said, well, I at least understand that you want to be able to keep some things in your own private stash. And they said, yeah, but they're going to do a good job of hiding it, you know. So so it was it was nice because they knew I was on the same page as them and not necessarily their enemy. But it was also nice to see. they also really cared about the little guy and they really wanted to take care of him too and it was just one of those moments one of those mom moments when i'm like i finally got it right (laughs) you know because this is how i just realized that really is how god is he does allow the bad stuff to happen and if it gets too bad he has to say enough already but but in the process, both the people who are making the choices he would prefer that we wouldn't make and the people who might be hurt by that are both growing and they're both learning and they're both learning to use their agency in a way that will help them draw closer to Christ. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe and,
0: uh, along those lines, uh, if it's all right, just to say, yeah, please. Uh, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit uh, when we were speaking uh, a couple of weeks ago and. Uh, my longtime listeners will know that uh, i've talked about this as well but when you talk about the justice of god justice and judgment and all those words in in the the israelite concept really is judgment it's it's making things right making things the way they should be right yes. so mm-hmm. in your story that's what happened you you, you things ended up being made right now fortunately it was because your your older ones just chose to make things they right. They chose right. to do it
1: right, yeah, right. With
0: Israel, let's say with the northern kingdom, they did not. And so God engages in like a 2500-year process of scattering them and <laughs> bringing them back to make things right. Or we can think of like the the people in the days of Noah, who Noah and others bled, please stop all the violence, the oppression, all these terrible things, and they wouldn't change. And so God makes it right by starting over, but he still makes it right by they're in the spirit world. And then his son goes and organizes the work to be preached to them so that they can still change. And and so he's just making it right in every way possible for the whole group and for every individual. That's what the justice of God is.
1: And it's amazing in its scope. Yeah, it is. It is mind blowing his capacity and ability to do that. I have such a testimony of his power to orchestrate that Um, I'll even tell another story because I recently went through um, the Holocaust museum Uh. in DC and I'm like, I'm a really, really sensitive soul. I'm the kind of person who like, I honestly, I don't know if you've seen the movie, Babe, like when the little pig is crying over mama. I cried right now. Okay. Like I'm really, I'm really tender. And if I see any suffering at all, it's just the tears come. And so I knew, like, I just knew going into the Holocaust Museum, I was just going to be a total wreck. Right. But I walked in and one of the first plaques that I read talked about how Hitler actually offered to send all the Jews out on his luxury boats to any country that would take them and the united states of america did not even reach the max number of immigrants that the law allowed that year huh. and and great britain also said no we're not going to let them in and one one leader said you know we don't have a race problem in our country and we don't want to import one i mean it was just this whole Hitler had a plan A and plan A was, if you guys wanna take these people and take care of them, go for it. And they said, no. So Hitler went to plan B and I'm not, I mean, there's no excuse for plan B. Right. But but I remember thinking in that moment, like how would history have been different, right? And then and it took me by such surprise that I, I didn't feel teary. And I went through the whole entire Holocaust museum with this puzzle in my head of, you know, what, what would it have been like if history had been different? And and then I get to the very end of the Holocaust Museum and he says this, there, there was another plaque that talked about how because there was nowhere for the Jews to go, um, and I've actually learned a lot about um, a ship called the Exodus 1947, when the Jews were trying to immigrate to Israel and the um, and the Great Britain was blocking it. The guy in charge—I forget his name—but he was he was not letting any more people in because it was causing riots w- between the Muslims and the Jews, and the Muslims were worried about the power power imbalance. And you know the the fight continues today. But but the Britain the in Great Britain they were saying no, you can't let in any more people. But this boat that was supported by uh, Jewish Americans, they had paid for it and and gotten them all the way across. It arrives at Israel and they want to get off the boat and the officers won't let them. And they actually take two other boats on either side and they force the boat away from Israel and they force the boat to go all the way to France. Mm. And everybody refused to get off the boat. And they said, if you don't get off the boat, we're going to take you to Germany. And they didn't get off the boat. So they were that determined to go back to their homeland. And when they, when the, When the British people in charge took them back to Germany, it lit this entire rage across the whole world. And that's when the United Nations took over. Israel said, no more, Great Britain. You have totally lost control of this area. This is not the way to handle the situation. And they made the state of Israel as we know it today. So I'm, I'm reading Isaiah 48. I'm reading Isaiah 49. And, and I'm thinking about this experience at the Holocaust Museum, and I'm thinking, this was all orchestrated. Of course, the this, this suffering is awful, and I can't even stand to think about it when you yeah. walk past the And we're not saying shoes. God
0: caused the suffering. No, and
1: he didn't, but right. he allowed it, and he used it for his ultimate good purpose, which was to return Israel home.
0: Right. And and, and I, that's, I, oh, sorry.
1: Oh, I, I just am, like, I read this. When Israel is saying, but Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. So, wait, 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 sorry. 49, verse 14, chapter 49, verse 14. So, in Nephi, it would be 21, verse 14. Mm -hmm. The Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. And Nephi adds, but he will show that he hath not. Yeah. Can a woman forget her second child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yay, they may forget, which is an answer that astounds me as a mom. Like, how, how could I ever forget my children? But, like, right. I guess there are some women who do.
0: Yeah. And but both emotionally, but also not. physically, right? Like, physically, right. A, a nursing mother knows it's time to nurse her, nurse her child, right? So, it's both of those <laughs> It is that painful not right to. On yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, as much as it baffles me as a mom that anyone could, could forget their child, he says it is possible, and, and I assume maybe for some women it has been possible, maybe if they're mentally ill or whatever, Um, but he won't forget us. Even, even in the craziest circumstances when a woman could forget, he won't. And he says, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. So we have a fantastic prophecy of Christ there. I mean, it's so clear, but I love this thy walls are continually before me because i looked that up um and i think it's interesting that it's a feminine noun in hebrew but it's a wall of protection and um the the the, so i mean if we think about it literally it is literally a wall of protection like around a city yeah that's exactly the imagery they're bringing up with that yeah Right. And the the covenant promise is like I will protect you. So that wall yeah. is part of his job, his covenant promise that he will protect us. So he's always watching that wall. He's always ready to defend us. And yes. that's kind of like the literal like Isaiah knows what he's talking about there, and that's the ways of the Jews if we understand that. But mm-hmm. one one time I heard this lady say, it meant to her personally when she was, you know, likening Isaiah to herself, she said, you know, a lot of times I feel like I put up walls spiritually. And, and I block out the Lord because maybe I'm hmm. a, afraid of, you know, it'll be too hard to keep that commandment or he's too disappointed with me or whatever. And she says, I put up those walls. And I think it's really interesting that he watches those walls too. And I thought, oh, that's kind of nice. Even though it's out of context, it's a really cool thought. Yeah. But then I, I looked up this really interesting, um, I, and I'm totally going to botch the pronunciation of this jesenius Hebrew.
0: Oh, yeah. Justinius, Justinius, yeah. yeah, that's, Hebrew—that's one we all use when we study Hebrews. Yeah, yeah, when we learn it, Gesenius's grammar. Yeah.
1: So I've usually gone for Strong's. I haven't really used this one very much, but he says that metaphorically it can be used um, in the sense of a maiden who's chaste and difficult to approach. Huh. Isn't that really interesting to think that's of those? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to think of walls in that way, you yeah. know, and it, it it's hard for him to approach us if we're not chased at all, you know, if we're not if we're not loyal to the covenant at all. But but for those of us that are really trying, we're just trying, and and maybe feeling a little bit guarded. He's watching us, and he's just waiting for that moment when he can reach out to us and say. You know i've got you safely and it's okay to open up your walls you know yeah. and and i really just thought that was such a neat thought that not only was it just personal to this woman in that sense but that there was actual you know, historical <laughs> yep. legitimacy of maybe reading it that way. And I just thought that's such a beautiful way of, I feel like he has definitely made his way into my heart in in ways that I couldn't have imagined when my testimony was young and new, and I barely knew who I was worshiping and still even feeling a little bit scared of him.
0: Um, that, there's a key thing with the the walls there and and uh, maybe tying into something you were talking about earlier, because, you know, walls are are the thing that keeps everyone out. But mm-hmm. the key element of every wall is the gate. And in, right. in the ancient world, they made these big gates and sometimes kind of double gates where you'd have to go in this way and then turn and go that way. And they had a bunch of chambers so that they could they'd store things. But when under attack, you'd have men in there that could attack anyone coming in and so on and so on. Right. So the key of the gates is that they determine at the gate. And you'll see gates used this way a lot in the scriptures, including in Second Nephi 9 and elsewhere. They determine who comes in and who stays out. And it's mm-hmm. a little bit like you were talking about with your house. Okay, you're the gatekeeper. You're trying to determine what comes into your house food-wise, but I would guess yeah. that we could use that as a metaphor for all sorts of other things. Yeah. What comes into your house and what stays out? And so remember that uh, Jacob in 2 Nephi 9, and he is paraphrasing and quoting from Isaiah 48 and 49 in 2 Nephi 9, and he talks about Christ being the keeper of the gate, right? And and uh, so on. He uh, I think this is part of what he has in mind. Christ is the one who we need to to make the keeper of our gate so that he if we let God prevail in our lives if we put it that way if we let God prevail in our lives then we will make the decisions that Christ would make as to what stays out and what comes in and that's one of the ways I think that his uh, our walls are continually before him if we make him the keeper of the gate
1: Absolutely. And, and learning how to make him the keeper of the gate is such a long, it's such a process. But in the process of transferring control from what we think that we need and giving that control to him, that process is such a big part of what purifies us and helps us to become more like him and really to understand his love and how we can turn around and do that for others. I mean, I yes. just... It, having been through the Holocaust Museum and just understanding what I understand of the all the history of the Jews you can absolutely see why they're wondering you know
0: Did yeah. you forget have you forsaken me? us yeah yeah
1: <laughs> you can absolutely see and I'm sure I mean there have been moments in my life too where where you just feel like God is not there you know you're praying you're trying to get answers and it's just silent and it, and it's like I really need you right now. You know, where are you? And, and we've all had those moments and those times when we wonder, did, you know, what is he thinking? Why is he so quiet? Have you forgotten all about me? And, and I just love that the answer is the same every time. Like, of course not. He hasn't forgotten us. And, and I love the, the scripture. I think it's in John, where he talks about how we have to keep the commandments in order to abide in his love. And so if there's any time ever where I don't feel his love in my heart, I'm not, I've stopped questioning whether he's forgotten me and I've started questioning, okay, which of my thought patterns is separating me from his love? I'm, I'm separating myself from his love. I might not know how this might be something that I, a thought pattern I've been practicing since I was a kid, but But if I can flip that, if I can flip that thought, I used to call it my faith fear journal, where if I was ever feeling afraid or anxious or frustrated about something, if I was just feeling like I couldn't feel settled, I couldn't feel at peace, I would write down what I was thinking that was causing that fear. And then I would make myself do this little exercise where I had to flip the thought to the complete opposite and and just see, just see how that opposite thought made me feel. So if it was um I'll pick an easy one for me. I, I was about to take one from my daughter's story, but I want to be really careful and let her tell her own story when she's ready. Yeah. But I'll take I'll take my own health journey. Um you know, I'm, I'm never going to get better and I'm doing everything I can. And I still have like really low energy and I'm still getting sick all the time. And I can't take care of my kids. You know, when I, when the flu hits me 10 times harder than it hits them because my immune system so bad and I would have these thoughts, right. And they get me really riled up. And I get to this place where I'm, like, God has forgotten me. He's completely forgotten me because I've done everything he's told me to do. And I'm still sick. Like, why haven't I gotten better? Yeah, And then I would take that thought and I would say, okay, let's turn everything opposite he's going to heal me. I am going to be able to take care of my children. It's going to be beneficial for my children to watch me suffer in faith. It's going to be really great that, that I have been able to go through this because it's going to because I'm going to learn about the love of my savior and, and his timing is perfect. And when he's ready for me to be better, it, it will work out. It will, it will be exactly the plan that he needs for me. And I trust him wholeheartedly. And it's amazing when you when you flip those thoughts like 180 degrees, the emotion flips too, and you feel safe. You feel safe in his arms. And and I think that that Christ tries so hard through the prophet Isaiah to let the people know that he is there to help them with the 180 degree flip. You mm. think you're forgotten, but I am here. And I this is this is the God that I have learned to love and worship and sacrifice everything for and i mean everything that i know how to sacrifice. And it, and it feels like i'm being asked to do that. I'll just tell one more quick story. We i built this house um about 4 years ago. We've moved this will be our ninth move, but we moved 8 times before we got to this house in about 14 15 years of marriage. And so that's a lot of moves. We've been in a lot of places and a lot of houses and every time we move, i never have a space for my art ever. And it's really hard to do my work because I've had, I've had neighbor kids come in and get into my paints and paint red <laughs> off of, across finished paintings. You know, I, uh, uh, you know, they're just always kind of poking and prodding. And, and a lot of my paints are really toxic. Like I really worry about children being poisoned when they're over here. So, I, I just always wanted to have a space of my own where I could close the door, the kids would be safe from my my chemicals, and, and my paintings would be safe from the kids, right? And so I just kind of had dreamed of this, and and I have this long-term family um, identity, if you will. My great-great-grandfather built his house, you know, one straight plumb line at a time even though he was a shoemaker by day and i grew up helping my dad do diy diy projects all around our house so i had learned these skills and i just i loved creating i'm a creator to my core and i so i had created this house and we built it and i designed the whole studio for all the needs of what i needed to be able to do my art and there's just really particular things that are just impossible to find in any house that's on the market right and, um, and it was really fascinating because as soon as I moved in, I thought it'd be my forever home. In fact, my parents, my aging parents moved into my neighborhood with me so that I could take care of them as they got older. And so I just thought this is going to be where I am for the rest of my life. And it was my dream come true, or at least I thought it was. <laughs> and, and right after I moved in, I remember thinking this should feel like home and it doesn't. And. And I kept feeling like it wouldn't be forever. And I love in 48, how he talks about how in, in Isaiah 48, so uh, second Nephi, it would be first Nephi 20 about how he declared, he declares everything from the beginning. <laughs> and I showed you everything before I did it. And, and he, he kind of did that for me. He showed me right when we moved into this house that it wouldn't be forever. And I'm so grateful for that preparation because I, I used to think, you know, across the time when we owned it, that, that could it be this is this is gonna be the reason we have to move. No, this is gonna be that reason we have to move and and they they all worked out, they were fine. I mean, everything that I was worried about was completely fine. And then out of the complete blue, my husband feels really strongly that we're supposed to move back to, to Kansas. And um, which we've lived there before twice. We have friends there, I love it. It always feels like home there. I love that place. I'm not surprised at all that it's gonna be our forever home. But leaving this home has felt like my personal Abrahamic sacrifice. I I know that sounds dramatic probably to anybody else, but but to leave a home where I have a studio space is really hard. And if I did not worship a God who I trust completely, completely, I wouldn't be able to do it. And um, the kind of God who says, I am here for you, even when you think I have forgotten you, I am here for you. And even when you even when you think you've been through really hard stuff, I'm here for you. I can heal it all. He, He is the God who says, who do you want me to be for you? I will be the one who sits beside you while you suffer. I will be the one who sits beside you and helps you learn how to obey so that you don't have to suffer more. I will be the one to ask you to give your utmost farthing because I know it will make you better. And as I was really fighting um, leaving this home, I was like willing to obey because you know I trust God, but I was kind of mad about it. <laughs> and I had a friend ask me, you know, Natalie, have you ever asked him to just give you a glimpse of what it might be like for you to be there, like well, the picture that he has in mind for you? And I thought, well, I have asked him like, would I be able to find a house with a studio? <laughs> and and I felt like that was the wrong question to ask. So I had. Have- I really got any deeper. And long story short, we did find a house and I can do my artwork, but I don't have a studio. I'll still be in the living room. Um, luckily my kids are older, so hopefully it'll be safe and okay. But, but, but I was really searching for this like vision that he had. Right. And I pulled up, um, John 15, we were reading, just with come follow me, just the regular daily readings. And we got to John 15 and I read verse two, where he says, if, if any branch does not bear fruit, you know, this is the, the chapter about the branch abideth in the vine, then you're going to bear right. fruit. And if any branch doesn't bear fruit, he, fruit he's going to cut it off. Um, but if any branch does bear fruit, and in my head, I was filling in the end of the sentence, you're going to be blessed. <laughs> but that wasn't what verse two said. What verse two said was, you're going to be purged. <laughs> and then you can bear more more fruit Uh and so even though i didn't get a picture of of what it's going to be like for me to be there for the rest of my life and be away both my husbands and my family are here in utah um and my aging parents are going to have to be taken care of by the ward and some other siblings that i have that live relatively close none as close as i live to them but as i was kind of letting all of this go and feeling very purged um I just realized that I I really would give anything to bear more fruit. And mm-hmm. that is the kind of God that that we worship. He wants us to bear fruit. And that's it. Not for any other purpose than for the same glorious purpose that he's working for, which is to bless others and to to bring to pass e- eternal life and immortality for all of us. So I just I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the God That Isaiah teaches me about. I'm grateful that he shows me a God who cannot long-term tolerate the wicked being able to destroy the righteous. He can't tolerate that. But in the short term, he's there for us, no matter how many good and bad choices we make. And in the long term, he's there to help us become who we need to be. And he is the God who has the capacity to help us become that. Not because we're great, but because his grace is that great and amazing. And I just, I love that Isaiah paints that picture. I love that he knows the Savior so well. And even if the Old Testament language sounds a little bit scary and there's lots of warnings, it is it is out of love. I'm convinced that it's out of love that he just wants to call us home. And uh-huh. even if we, like Israel, think we botched it, you know, um, we we've totally lost our place. That you know, they even think they're they think they're goners. They say you know we they look up and they they think that they're desolate for thy. This is ch- verse nineteen of um, chapter forty nine for for Isaiah chapter twenty one for first Nephi for thy waste and thy desolate places. The land of the destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. And they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. And the children which thou shalt have, after thou hast lost the other, shall say again in thine ears, this place is too straight for me. So not only do they go from being desolate to all of a sudden having children, but now they have so many children, there's not even enough room for them to live. And Israel still is going to say in her heart, who hath begotten me these? Seeing, I've lost my children. <laughs> I'm desolate, I'm captive, and I'm removing to and fro. Who brought these up? Behold, I was left alone, but these, it's like they came out of nowhere, right? Yeah. But thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon our shoulders. And that's the word that we are charged with. It's such a critical, important work. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers and queens thy nursing mothers. And they shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and look up the dust of their feet, which is Isaiah talk for, they will recognize that you have power, that there's power in that covenant and they will respect it for once. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And I love that. prey will be taken from the mighty and you know who's the mighty it it could be political powers it could be government powers but
0: if i'm likening this to
1: myself it's it's satan you know it's my own natural man you know yeah sometimes it's mightier than i am but i have a deliverer thank heavens thank heavens i have a deliverer and he's there and he's capable and he's powerful enough to do it
0: amen amen and if if you continue on there we get more of what we talked about that he'll He'll contend with them that contend with thee and feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they'll be drunken in their own blood, which is, I think that's part of why Nephi identifies with that, because that's language that's very similar to what he sees in his vision. But And you've you've wrapped it up so powerfully and beautifully, I almost hate to say anything, but actually I'd kind of like to go back and read a few verses, because as Please I read do. them, yeah. it makes me think of the story you were just telling us, and so I, I can see you in this story And I want our audience to think of how this applies to them. There's a story for you somewhere where this is what's going on with you. So let's go back to first Nephi 20, which would be uh, Isaiah 48. And we're going to read verse starting in verse 16. Come ye near unto me. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that I, it was declared, have I spoken and the Lord God and his spirit has sent me. So. That's very similar to what you were saying. You knew somewhere, somehow, this wasn't going to go exactly how you were wanting it to go. But listen to this. And thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I have sent him, the Lord thy God, who teacheth thee to profit, who leadeth thee by the way that thou should go, hath done it. So he is, as he's, you're moving because he's asked you to move and you're letting God prevail in your life more than your studio or whatever else, right? Um, He is teaching you to profit. And he's leading you by the way. And then, oh, that thou hadst hearken unto my commandments. But in this case, you have hearkened to his commandments. So what, what he, he says then, but in this case, it is for you. Then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. That's the future. That's the picture he's painting for you uh, as to what yeah. it's going to be like. And that's what yeah. it's true for all of our audience. As they listen, you may feel forgotten. You may feel forsaken. But if you will trust in the Holy One of Israel who has spoken to you before, if you will trust in him, he will teach you uh, to profit and he will lead you by the hand. And if you obey, then your peace will be like a river and righteousness is the waves of the sea. It's just such beautiful and powerful stuff that Nephi uh and isaiah are teaching us and and i hope that as we see how nephi applied it to his people that we can do like you and i have just been doing that we can apply it to us as a whole israel as a whole all of the covenant people who are members of the church and covenant people who aren't and and also and the story of
1: the gathering and everybody the whole world being blessed because of the covenant yes
0: yes and also to us as covenant or israelite individuals so absolutely Thank you so much, Natalie. This is beautiful. So uh, I'll also tell our audience that you can uh, find on Natalie's YouTube channel and on my new uh, website, uh, we'll have some links to it on uh, Enlightenment Edge EDU. Um, We'll put links uh, down there, but uh, we'll have links to where you can see some of uh, Natalie's YouTube channels about um some of her art she has a a painting that is specifically drawn from this idea of nursing and and god taking care of you and i think on your youtube channel you explained that and it's beautiful powerful stuff uh so we'll have some links um, there
1: peace peace like a river is actually what inspired it It, um Ah. he actually isaiah says that phrase twice because uh he has it here in isaiah 48 as peace like a river and then he has it as um or your piece has been as a river in 48 and it's piece like a river in 66. Oh. And they both mirror this idea. I just love the idea of feeling like this. It's um, it's not temporary. Rivers don't stop. They keep going forever and ever and ever and ever. He is the living water. And so it's not, it's, it, it's not like a dry Creek bread bed that dries up in the, in the fall, right? Like it's a big river that washes over you. And sometimes we talk about, we, you know, we have this peace wave over us. Um, but I like the idea of thinking of it as a river instead of a wave because the wave still comes and goes. And I was even thinking like, even my righteousness can be like the waves of the sea. Sometimes I'm a lot more disciplined, you know, and, and sometimes I really struggle. And then, and then I do, I have seasons of my life where, where, you know, maybe the tide is higher and with and seasons when the tide is lower, but, but his peace is that constant river. It doesn't go up and down and up and down. Um, I had the most fascinating experience the other day. I was doing some nature journaling with my kids outside and I stopped by this river. It was actually a day, I was really having a hard day. And I just watched this river and I was actually thinking of the scripture. I did a little um, sketch there. And as I was sketching, there's there's nothing like sketching to make you pay pay attention because you have to go slow enough that you catch every detail. Otherwise you can't sketch it. And as I was sketching this little river, I noticed that there were dark spots and there were light spots. And the darkest darks in the river were always when the water was hitting a rock that was causing Mm. it to stop. Mm -hmm. And it was also really, really dark when it would get diverted, like some of it would splash up over here and get diverted into this slower kind of river that eventually kind of ran back and joined the faster river but when it was white and light and moving fast it was it was splashing it was white it was it was active yeah but when it stopped when it paused when it slowed down it got really dark and i have thought that that is so true in our lives like if 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 god's peace is the river then we're the riverbed and when we when we stop the flow of that river through our choices or our actions or whatever we're going to feel some darkness but when we allow ourselves to get back in the game and just get moving even if we can't see the future and we don't know what's going to happen that river is going to start moving faster we're going to see that light and we're going to see we're going to feel god's power moving over us and it's just it's just the way it is it was such an interesting metaphor and i just will forever love that scripture
0: ah beautiful well we'll have some links uh where people can see more of your wonderful explanations like that and learn about your art Uh, In the meantime, thank you. And uh, I've been edified and I'm sure our audience is being edified. And I think we'll uh, let's just share the things we've learned, uh, share this episode and like and download and all those other things. But just share the things you've learned from Natalie with others Um, and then come back next week. We're going to have some things with Casey Griffith and uh, I'm going to do some things for uh, the powerful chapters that we're studying next week. And uh, we'll just uh, keep finding uh, power and learning that the scriptures are real. So thank you, Natalie.
1: Thank you so much for chatting with me, Carrie. It's great to be here.